the available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. A few days ago, I went to a protest in Yonkers. Hundreds of people came together to collectively express our anger that the police murderers were not being held accountable for the death of George Floyd. And as we all marched down the streets of downtown Yonkers to the middle of the highway, stopping traffic, I kept thinking to myself, there are a lot of white and non-black people here. I'm gonna confess something. I've had doubts about the word ally. It feels like something you can choose to have. It feels like something that's totally free, even though you know you should be paying for it. And on the surface, being an ally is free. The price to start the process of unity is, I do believe, too steep for most white folk and too good to be true for most black folk. However, I want to be clear. The non-black people at the protest I went to in Yonkers were not the scuffed up, uptown wearing wannabes or the white photographers looking to steal a shot from the pain of the culture to gain recognition. They were full families of non-black and white people. Babies, aunties, skateboarding teenagers, and everyone was present and everyone was pissed and no one was afraid to put a fist in the air. The energy was genuine. And witnessing that allegiance matured space in my mind about the presence of white people at protests about black death. This is Brandon Janice, and you're listening to Sick Empire. Empire. The protest, the people, and the pandemic. episode, you'll hear stories of New Yorkers who are documenting the protests that have sparked up all around the city following the murder of George Floyd. So to start off the show, I want to share a conversation I had with Vaughn, a Brooklyn-based artist and singer. She gives a detailed description of her night at a Brooklyn protest as a young white woman. I've been to several, several protests. Right. Which isn't even like a cool thing to say. A cool thing to say is like I've been to several concerts or like several festivals, you know? Right, right. But I definitely felt like a different energy yesterday. What was like the uh, moment where you kind of thought to yourself like, oh shit, I'm in a protest? So I, I mean, similarly, I feel like I've, I've been to so many protests before, which again, shouldn't be like a, a badge to wear by any means, but the contrast was so striking. I don't think I've ever seen that many people collectively as angry. So I was at Barclays and during the day, like shit is not that crazy. It's like, you know, people want to group together. Like they want to yell and be angry. And that's so justified. And I'm white And so as a white person, it's like, my job is to kind of like, listen to what's being asked of us and 
and serve as like a protector or like someone to like document what police are doing and be kind of like a barricade and just like there to offer support and, and chant back, you know, and just, just offer up like a kind of a voice amplifier. But, um, for the first few hours, it was, it was pretty, it was so calm. It was tame. It was like, we were all chanting. No one did anything crazy. And, um, police just started pepper spraying people like out of nowhere. The, you know, this, the issue is like the NYPD, their, their riot control is brilliant because it's ruthless. It's merciless. It's almost impossible to compete with. Um, you know, when you have 50 cops lined up in full riot gear, charging full force at a group of people, it doesn't really matter how strong your front line is, you know, like that's, there's only one outcome of that. It's like people are going to get trampled and get hurt. So, and they know that they're not dumb. Once that started, when they started like ramming gates into people at Barclays to split up the group is when I really had like a change of, of mindset of like, wow, like this is, this is so much deeper than I thought. And, and it was also, you know, the first time that I think I really genuinely felt, um, scared, which I think is so important for white people right now to acknowledge, like, you know, I feel scared when a police officer is like ramming a metal gate at my face to be on the front lines of that. And to like sit in your fear and your discomfort and your anguish is really, really, really important right now as an ally. Um, we marched up to Fort Greene and that's when shit got really crazy and the sun goes down. I think that's when everything gets really nuts. So yeah, we were, I mean, I can't believe I got on video, but we were standing with hands up, like chanting, um, hands up, don't shoot. Literally everyone's hands were up, (laughs) no, just standing like, you know, side by side. And literally the police chief went three, two, one, go. And they charged at protesters and started, you know, like beating the shit out of people for no reason. And this girl got, um, pepper spray in her throat and her eyes. So she was like, like hacking up and couldn't see. And me and some friends had water and milk on us and stuff. So we were pouring out, you know, washing out her eyes for her on the, on the outskirts, like on the sidewalk, because the cops were telling everyone to move. So we went to the sidewalk to try to help her out. And that's when I got like literally cracked on the leg with a baton by a police officer telling us we weren't moving fast enough. Ironically, the police officer who whacked Vaughn was a black woman. And I'm really not trying to be funny. However, I can't figure out if the police officer whacked Vaughn because the culture of American law enforcement is inherently violent and irrational, or if Auntie just wanted to get one in for the culture. I do think it's really important for white people to see firsthand like how ruthless police were to police are to everyone in these environments. I mean, I had friends arrested who literally did not do anything, were just standing by and forcibly taken into handcuffs, stuck in a cell with 60 other people and no masks during a global pandemic for 16 and a half hours with no food, with, you know, uh, two uh, bottles of water for 60 people and no cups. Like, it gets to a point where you know, the evidence is so overwhelming. Like it's, it's on live television. There is, there's no excuse right now to not be like (laughs) with the shit, you know, (laughs) like it's staring you in the face. And it's been so, so bewildering to watch like, you know, people sliding into my DMs from high school or from my hometown telling me that like, you know, I'm being (laughs) judgmental or some other whack shit 
when it's like, I've watched you flip cars over and light them on fire when your sports team won. Like I saw you destroy the streets of Philadelphia when, when you were celebrating and now you're mad. What's fascinating, but not shocking at all, is that every single person has the exact same story Vaughn is about to tell. The peace is always interrupted by the police. The people who are instigating are police or white kids that are trying to have like a, a Batman Joker movie play out in their head. You know, like people are there to protest peacefully. Shit only gets nasty when cops instigate. Now, I'll be right back after a quick word from my friends at the North Star. It's the pathway to freedom that's leading to the North Star. Hey everybody, it's Sean. I'm the host of The Breakdown, of course, but I'm also the CEO of the North Star. And if you love this podcast or my articles and my advocacy or any of our other podcasts and articles, just know that it's more than me. We have editors, writers, producers, administrators, designers, and technicians, and they all make everything we do work, and they and we need your support. For as little as $5 a month, you can chip in to fund our liberation journalism at thenorthstar.com. Go now to thenorthstar.com and chip in today. Thank you all. Next, you're going to hear from Joseph Tallman. And when I started this interview, I started with the intentions of pressing him about being a white photographer, covering black issues, and Joseph cleared the air very quickly. I would start off by saying that I come from a, a mixed-race family. Um, my mom is an African-American woman. My dad's a white dude from Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. Uh, so you're black. Oh, yeah, my bad. Yeah, so, <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. You're good. Uh, my mom is much older, had me at a much older age. Mm-hmm. And she, she grew up during the civil rights movement mm-hmm. um, and remembers not being able to drink out of water fountains the same as other people. Um, I take all this pretty personal at this point. Um, I feel like it's important that I, I see it with my own eyes. I live in the South Bronx and I took a cab, maybe it's like a five minute cab ride to Harlem to 125th and Lenox. And for some reason, I just thought I was going to like run into several different riots. You know, I thought like people were going to be like gathering in the streets and on the corners and they were going to have like radios and it was going to be a thing. But it was just like the sunniest day in May, you know. I think that's the craziest part about the whole experience is I I went to uh, the protest the other day down in Flatbush it went from zero to 60 really fast for me. I, I I got there and it was really cool. There's a lot of people out there that were dancing, celebrating. People, were, It was like being in New Orleans. People were in the street playing saxophone. The police were there, but they were being cool. Like there was a good vibe. Like everything seemed okay, right, when I first got there. And as I followed the crowd, there seem to be more uh, anger. Like there just seemed to be more anger kind of rising. And this was early. This was four o'clock in the afternoon. 
Um, and I saw, I remember seeing this younger woman completely covered from head to toe. Like you couldn't see her face, anything. And she just picked up a spray paint can and wrote pigs on the side of like a, a building. I was like, all right, you know, I see it. I see her. No, none of the cops were doing anything. It was cool. Then I turn a corner, there's a helicopter, police helicopter there, and I've never seen a helicopter fly that low before, ever. I'm 36 years old, I've seen a lot of helicopters in my life, I've never seen a helicopter get that low to a crowd before, and I thought that was strange. Um, and it kind of swung down towards the people a little bit, it was like almost like it was trying to intimidate them, um, and then it just kind of turned crazy. Like, uh, that same woman that I had seen earlier... I saw her get on top of a police car and write murderers in red paint across the windshield. Um, This was like an abandoned police car. There was no police in the car. And we saw her doing that. People were cheering that she was doing it. And then she reached in her backpack and pulled out a hammer and just started breaking out every window on the car. And when she did that, I looked to my right and there's about 40 cops with batons pulled running straight at me. And I just stepped back they started chasing after her. People started yelling, why are you going after a woman? Why does it take 40, 40 uh, police officers to go after a woman? Somebody tackled a cop and it just turned into like pure pandemonium. And I just got out of there at that point. Yeah. Were you scared? Honestly, it was just so surreal. I wasn't. <laughs> I think it like hit me later taking the ride back, which was also surreal. It's like you go to this situation where, you know, there's people fighting police very emotional. And then I get on this moped and I'm riding back and it's like, you get six blocks away from this and it's just New York again. And people are outside barbecuing and laughing and it's like nothing even happened. I feel like, right, COVID-19 and the coronavirus pandemic and kind of documenting the empty streets of New York, the streets that were once very busy and now they're not, you know, that's a story that has a beginning, a middle and an end, you know what I'm saying? But with with the protests and with the police brutality, the shit is never ending. Yeah, yeah. What are some of your thoughts when you were kind of looking back at the photos or the videos that you capture? Like, It just kind of, honestly, it just kind of saddens me. And I look back, my mom has photographs of her in the 50s going to protests in D.C. And then, you know, here I am, 2020, and I'm getting the same, same photos. And it's like with people with newer clothes on, that's it. So after mistaking Joseph for a white man who covers black issues, I had to keep searching for that man. And alas, I found him. Patrick Vinson. He runs a podcast and a digital platform called The Daily Ember. And what's so great about his work is that he's bridging the divide by outrage. He puts the inner workings of racism on blast. He's fearless. And the news he shares, quite frankly, as a black woman, it stings. It's not nice but it's some of the realest and most raw reporting you'll come across. It's transforming. It's shit you cannot unsee. Listen to Patrick's answer when I ask him, why is Piers are so shy from putting white racism on blast? It's something a lot of people, for some reason, tend to take the backseat on, I feel like. And, and there's a lot of people out here, you know, that talk about wanting to create change and be the change and stuff. And then when that time comes... Uh, they, they continue sitting down in the back seat. And I think, you know, as we're seeing these past four days now, that this isn't stopping 
what uh, was before March isn't going to come back. Uh, you know, um, that that's in quotes, the ordinary. And the ordinary was allowing systemic racism to be on the back burner and have a smiley face on it, you know, when there's a Democrat in office. And then when there's a Republican in office, we're supposed to act like racism is a new thing. Do you get any pushback from people for documenting this? There's definitely been comments, you know, they'll just be the typical all lives matter comments or all these people are just uh, or the cops, you know, are just protecting the people from thugs and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, I, I hear your dog whistles, but you're wrong. We can work together to both re-transform uh, this systemically racist system uh, that affects, you know, the different communities differently. I, I think it's a communication or a way to uh, transcribe it to others to make it more appealing to uh, other people that aren't necessarily supportive upfront about it. Can you just talk like a little more about that and trying to get people to listen who, I mean, let's face it, traditionally wouldn't. Exactly. You know, my great way of, you know, I like to use and talk about it to people. If, you know, who's going to come and say evict you from the house? Right. Yeah. You know, the cops come and evict you from the house. Now, that isn't just a brown issue. That's a white and brown issue. And I believe when you look at that, you know, these same people that are always out here pushing the all lives matter, blue lives matter and all this stuff that are constantly defending the cops just don't understand that they are targeted as well, just not as much as their neighbors may be. And uh, that, that's the thing. You have to find the little common ground. There's a lot of comfort, a lot of mental gymnastics uh, I've discovered along the way. Most of the time, people don't want to hear it. They just block me or stop replying. Can you talk about that? too? I think that's really important, kind of documenting this very touchy subject, right? But But the way you're doing it, like in this digital space, can you talk about like kind of being on the front lines, like of the digital, of the digital. recording. Yeah, no. So again, I, I lately I have definitely become less hesitant of using the black button because we all know how the alg- uh, algorithms work on social media. So you have to find different ways around that. Uh, my buddy Danny from Body Politic, he does these fantastic videos. Uh, have some little comedy twist to it, so it'll grab someone's attention that might not normally be interested in politics. We need to find different ways to reach out and attract people's attention with more eye-popping things. The rebellion might not be televised, but it is being digitalized. Do you feel any responsibility to kind of bring people in, bring white people in and, and change their minds? I absolutely try. For some reason, it's a tough thing to do to say, you know, all we're asking for is some accountability. You know, that, that's it's a simple request. And for some reason, some people just keep turning it into an anti-cap thing every time. Uh, Right now, you know, I post all the time uh, that I'm anti-cap. And then I'm anti-cap this current system because this current system we have has always been systemically racist from slave patrol to night patrol. Historically, it's always been a racist system. So we need to have something done where we have a community-based thing where we don't have people policing areas that are scared of each other. We need them in areas of people they know and trust and can talk to. I asked Patrick, what responsibility do white journalists have when reporting on these white killer cops and their black victims? 
Uh, I have not been reposting the videos of, you know, uh, these deaths that we are seeing. I am just posting the images of the officers and stuff like that. I'm trying to not show, you know, uh, the actual thing taking place because I feel like there's people doing that and uh, some people are only doing it to gain uh, likes and more views. And I think that's what is wrong. There's some uh, buddy in the music scene right now, I won't mention names, that has some shirts that are uh, called End Racism and stuff. And he just relaunched them again right now. And none of the profits, however, are going to anything, any charities, you know, against police brutality or what's going on currently. So this man just relaunched a whole shirt line to profit off of in the middle of this. And I think the shirts are like 30 bucks a shirt. So he's making a decent little handoff of something going on right now. Stuff like that's wrong. I mean, it hurts the movement. It hurts the cause. It hurts the people that are, it hurts the allies that are actually trying to be allies. This this isn't stuff you want to be doing, but you have to do it. It's an obligation morally. You know, if you're not out there, if you're staying silent, then you're complicit. Next, we're going to hear from Darrell Peacock, a photographer and Queens native who has been documenting and sharing photos of the protests throughout the city. I called Daryl at 8.45 at night, and we live very close to one another in the Bronx. And tonight, the Bronx is burning. And we are tired. Tired from the day, more tired from fighting. What was supposed to be a 20-minute interview about documenting the protests in New York turned into an hour-long conversation that went deep into the social ills of the Black community, the godliness of the Black woman, and the white eyes feeding off black pain. I wish we could play the whole interview, but for now, enjoy this conversation from two young black creatives living in the epicenter of a global health pandemic, battling in a never-ending war. Can you talk to me about, like, documenting the protest? It's beautiful and ugly at the same time. It's a beautiful struggle, basically. Like, when when did you first go out? Friday, I went down to Union Square. And I usually try not to. Because I'm trying to avoid embracing those feelings. Like, it's, 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 a, it's a hard pill to swallow. I try not to watch the videos. I try not to hear too much about the stories. Because I don't want to become numb to the situation. What are some of your thoughts on just, like, non-Black people documenting this this struggle? Mm. Like, this specific struggle that you know what i'm saying yeah and that's big and that's kind of key to it too is i'm tired of seeing white people tell black stories it's never going to be authentic it's never going to feel real and raw it feels staged i just don't feel like they 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 really care it's like i just need to get the shot i just i'm here just to get the shot I'm not here to, I don't have no empathy. I don't really care about the situation. Once this is over, I'm going home to my my nice little apartment with my family and a nice neighborhood. So I'm just here for the shot. But I feel like for us as Black people, we're looking at it like, I want to tell my story. I want to, I want to tell my pain. And it's unfortunate that we have to constantly tell this story, but the story will feel real and authentic and it will 
impact people the way it's supposed to impact them if it comes from us. But it it really becomes annoying seeing white people tell our stories. Especially the stories of struggle, especially the stories of pain, especially the stories of death. Do you notice they use, those are the, the, the stories that they use to get their recognition and their awards. Like the biggest rewards for photographers usually come from the white person who's in Africa taking pictures of, of kids in third world countries, right? So like you're, you're just using us to better yourself while we're telling this story. We're doing this to bring awareness to the situation. I don't feel like they are 90% of them, 95% of them are genuinely there to help. It's more about how do I make myself look better? In that sense, right, when you're documenting all of this, what responsibility, like, do you have and what responsibility do all Black creators have to not only tell the story authentically, but to also tell it with dignity and with respect? I think the first the first thing is, like you said, is about being authentic, being honest, being real, um, embracing, like, fully embracing yourself into this situation. And being there with the people at the same time we're being respectful, especially in a situation like this where we're we're protesting against the system. So as much as much as possible, you don't want to put people's faces out there. It's almost like we're sharing pain and vulnerability and, and kind of like all of these very heavy, very thick emotions in the midst of it all. And sometimes I feel like that's where the most authentic work comes from when you are in pain. Yeah. You know, and I hate to say that, but I do think it's true. Yeah, your your darkest moments create the most beautiful things. So in that case, like, when you are, like, fully immersed in it, how are you, how do you deal with that, like, emotionally? Have you broken down at all? Were you ever, like, scared at all? I went to the protests in Yonkers um, a couple of days ago, Mm -hmm. and there were definitely times where I was scared. You know, there were times where we were on the highway, shutting the highway down, jumping over the median, you know. And it was one of those moments where it's like, I feel the fear, you know, and I I acknowledge that it's there. And it's that moment where it kind of defines who you are in a sense, right? It's like, all right, so that's the fear. What are you going to do? Yeah. I feel like it's really hard to deal with it. It, when I say it, I mean the entire idea that George Floyd was murdered on camera and It's a nationwide, damn near global wide protest to get the people that murdered him arrested. How are you dealing with that emotionally? Like I've, I haven't broken down yet, but I, I feel it coming. Initially, when I get there, I'm nervous. I want to make sure I'm doing it the best I possibly can for Floyd and for every other black person who was slain by police. I realize I'm not there and able to get those emotions out. Like that frustrated, that frustration that I feel from the moment, I'm not there to get it out at these protests because I'm trying to capture everybody else's emotions. And I think it was Sunday night when I was editing and I was texting my mom back and forth. And she just, you know, doesn't want nothing to happen to me. I texted, I was like, I showed her a picture that I finished and I'm like, mom, I... I feel like I have the responsibility as one as a black photographer to tell our stories. And saying just saying those those words, I like broke down and cried. And it was the first time I cried from the moment I found out he like he passed away. 
I have to put my emotions to the side to be in the moment to capture these events because this is this is history in the making. Unfortunately, it's not the history we want to be telling, but it's it's something we have to tell because 20 years from now, they're not going to tell the truth. I don't think any of us have ever experienced something like this. I know I haven't. I, I think if you break it down, there's moments where you could say, oh, I've been through something similar to this moment. Mm-hmm. When you look at it collectively, no. This is a, another level of Jumanji. Yes. I don't know how to deal with this shit no more. Will your work ever be the same? No, I think it would be better. In what way? Um, it's gotten me out of my shell. Mm. Uh, I'm not the most vocal person, and people around me will say it. I'm the quiet guy with the camera. I'm learning and understanding my weapon of choice and how to use it. So I never will put myself in a box again or sit sit back and watch. A few months ago, my friend Lauren and I had dinner together in my apartment. And we ended up watching the very first episode of Saturday Night Live, which aired October 11th, 1975, well over 10 years before either of us was born. And there's a sketch in that episode that I can't shake. It's done very well. It's satire at its best. In it, there are these two white men acting as police officers. They go from place to place, apartment building to apartment building in the city, shooting innocent civilians, killing them. Then immediately having conversations about what they're going to have for dinner. That was in 1975. And it's a sketch. Some witty writer created it. And then the studio hired actors in costume and makeup. And they got a director and several assistants. And they filmed it over and over again until they got it perfect. And then a director yelled cut. Then they released it to cable TV, hoping to get a gasp out of their audience. And today, when cops kill innocent civilians, it's filmed by a teenager with an iPhone. It's shared on Instagram. There's no one to yell cut. And we are all left in the middle of the street, gasping for air. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sick Empire. This podcast is produced and presented by The North Star. The North Star is funded entirely by our members. You can also support Sick Empire by going to Apple Podcast, subscribing to Sick Empire, and leaving us your best review. Tell us what you love about the podcast. On any other podcasting platform, please subscribe and follow us. All of the music in this podcast is produced by the North Star's senior producer, Willis. Special thanks also goes to our guests and every staff member at the North Star. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving.